Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. These are the words of God. And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Heavenly Father, We ask, Lord, that you would let us first today uh, see your uh, gracious mercy towards us. Father, that you would help us to see how much you love us. And Lord, in light of that great mercy, I ask God that you would would then move us to a place of grace-fueled obedience. In light of your mercy, Lord, that you would move us to a place where we gladly accept what you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, the very instrument of our grace, your grace towards us, we pray. Amen. We have a known rule in our house, and the rule is as follows. Listen and obey right away. Listen and obey right away. If you ask any of my girls what the rule is, they're going to say, listen and obey right away. And they're also going to use their hands to do it. I don't know where they get talking with their hands. But anyway, so listen and obey right away, right? Because this helped them remember. But if you ask Joe what the rule is, Joe is going to say, listen and obey right away, okay? And she's going to do this, right? Okay, and she's going to make you do it too if you don't do it right, which is how she's more like her mother. No, anyway, so so listen and... (laughs) Yeah, I shot it. Anyway, listen and obey right away. But here's a really important thing about the house rule that we have. There's two fundamental truths. There's two assumed realities that have to be understood in in our house. And that is, number one, obedience is a way of life in our house. Obedience is a way of life in our house. But, number two, that obedience is a grace-fueled obedience. I love my daughters... I always will love them, and I want them to do what I ask them, right? You guys kind of get this. As Christians, we too must operate from these fundamental truths. 
Obedience is a way of life in the kingdom of God. Can you say that with me? Obedience is a way of life in the kingdom of God. But listen, it's also a grace-fueled obedience. Say that. It is a grace-fueled obedience. This is so important. Obedience, Obedience is a good thing inside of the Christian life. And when it is done in view of mercy, it does not contradict with grace. It does not compete with mercy. It doesn't matter what any modern preacher says. It doesn't matter what any, uh, you know, kind of left-leaning teachers in the church say. Obedience, if it is done in view of grace, does not violate grace. And it is actually the call of the Christian life. My daughters operate from a knowledge, or at least I hope to instill in them this knowledge, that my love for them is not contingent on their obedience. It's not contingent on their obedience. Now, I could spend hours and hours talking about how unconditional love is not scriptural, okay? So I'm not, that's, I'm not gonna go there. Uh, if you wanna have a conversation about it, I'm more than willing to have this conversation. But I want my daughters to know that they, my love is not contingent on their obedience. My love was contingent on loving them, was birthing them. Well, Sarah did that part, right? You know, but bringing them into the world. I loved them the day they walked into life. I simply love my daughters, right? In light of that love, in light of that relationship, there is uh, an expectation that they would honor me and that they would, they would obey what we say. And when they do that, what, what's produced inside of our hearts as parents? Joy, right? Isn't it an absolutely amazing thing when your children obey? Most of you are going, yeah, but it hasn't happened today yet. So, <laughs> yes, it's, it's just a beautiful thing when they obey. Now, listen, when my daughters, you know, I, I ask them to obey, their obedience brings joy to my heart. Same thing happens with God, right? When we obey God, it brings joy to his heart. It, it pleases God to do this, right? Uh, it shows that we respect him. Our children show that they respect us. Uh, but it also, obedience serves to display something else. And that is my daughter's love for me. That, that's what obedience does. And in the kingdom of God, that's what obedience is about. Obedience reveals that you are a child of the king. It says, I'm going to honor my father. I'm going to love him in return. Because of his great love for me, I'm going to respond to his wonderful love. As Christians, we are expected to obey. I hope you know this. We're expected to obey. Not only are we expected to, but praise God, we're able to. Can you say that with me? I'm able to obey. Say that. I'm able to obey. Yes. I've quoted it a thousand times in sermons. 2 Peter 1, which says, We've been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. We have been given everything we need to live a life of obedience. These are facts of scripture, church. Obedience is a glad assumption in the kingdom of God. That obedience is a grace-fueled obedience. Obedience is not what gains God's love, but it shows love in return to God because of his saving work for us. We, we are not only to obey God, but we're actually able to obey God. The language of the Bible shows us that we are both to be and to do. The language of the Bible says that we're both to be and to do. Let me explain this really quick. We are to be children of God. Amen? We are to be, by faith, we are to be justified in God's sight. Right? Okay. So just as the Bible says, be holy as he is holy. And I'm set apart because of the righteous work of Christ on the cross. By grace alone. 
No, no doubt, right? I, I'm to be that person. But the same Bible that says, be holy as I am holy, also says to do good. And it doesn't stop there. It says, make every effort to do good. Make every effort. This is the very purpose for which God has purified us. This is what we read in Titus chapter 2. It says that God has purified a people zealous for good deeds. Not just that you would do good deeds, but that you'd also be zealous for them. How many of you left last week and you're like, I got to work on that zeal thing? Yeah, 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 all of us, and yeah, and I'm the professional. Anyway, so, so this is a both-and idea, right? We're to be and we're to do, not an either-or. And this is important for some of you. Some of you need to hear this today. The Bible doesn't have a category for a fruitless vine. The Bible doesn't have a category for a fruitless vine. In the end, you're not a part of the vine. In the end, that's not who, you know, where you belong. Okay, the Bible does not have a category for a fruitless vine. No doubt, the ultimate trump card for this doctrine of grace-fueled obedience is found in the life, death, resurrection, and teaching of Jesus Christ. How do I get there? Number one, because the same God of mercy who loved us enough to die on a cross commands his disciples after his resurrection to go into all the world and make disciples. You guys know the Great Commission? So the same God of grace commands them, not, not, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission, right? And so he commands them to go and to, to make disciples of all nations. The same God who saved you by grace alone, through faith alone, that same God commands that when you make disciples, that you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That same God who redeems you by grace alone has also called us to baptize those disciples and then to teach them all that I have commanded you. Isn't that awesome? To teach them all that I've commanded you, which means the Christian life looks like this. You and I are supposed to obey Jesus, and one of the ways we obey Jesus is we go make disciples of people who obey Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's our call. It's both and inside of this idea. So, so write this down if you're a note taker. Grace comes through the cross. Grace comes through the cross, but obedience comes in light of it. Grace comes through the cross, but obedience comes in light of it. We are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why? Because the Bible doesn't have a category for a fruitless vine. So we are to work from this assumption. Obedience is a way of life in the kingdom. Can I get some amens? Obedience is a way of life in the kingdom. That obedience is a grace-fueled obedience. Amen? Amen. This is undoubtedly, or undoubtedly, I don't know how to pronounce words sometimes, undoubtedly, why the Bible says, in view of mercy, you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Who presents your body as a living sacrifice? You do. You do. Not Jesus. Not your mama. Not your wife, husbands. You present your body as a living sacrifice. The same scripture that says that goes on. Paul goes on in, to teach Titus, and he says this to him. He says, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to men, comma. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to men, comma. That's the first thing. He brought salvation through grace. But what was the next thing that came through grace? Teaching you to obey all that he has commanded. Teaching you to deny ungodliness. This is what Titus says. Deny ungodliness in the present age. That is the call of the Christian life. So, obedience is a way of life in the kingdom. 
That obedience is a grace-fueled obedience. That's a beautiful reality, okay? But here's something else that we need to note here, and this may, may be confusing to some of you, uh, but it's just how my mind processes things. Um, the commands that we read in Luke chapter 10, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which are, which are referred to by Jesus in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel as the greatest command and the one that's like it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of these are called general commands or generalizations. Some might call this an abstraction. Okay, this might be what you call it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know why it's a general command? Because you have to ask the question, what does that mean? What does that mean, right? What, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? It's a general command over this. It's an overarching command uh, uh, under which many particular commands exist. Many, 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 many particular commands commit, uh, exist. This is why Jesus said on these two commands, all the law and the prophets depend or hang or require, okay? So they're general commands. Underneath that, we have these particular commands. Obedience in any form in this life uh, is when we employ a particular action uh, in, you know, to a general command or in obedience to a general command. In our relationship with God, in our relationship with people, we have plenty of generalities and we also have tons of particulars that are all applied in a case-by-case -case basis, what we do as an individual. Now, as a Christian, here's something that you need and you need to process this with me, but you need to have knowledge. Knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. You need to have the, you need to have the fear of the Lord, reverence for God. You need to have knowledge. That knowledge will produce in you uh, discernment because you'll, you know, you know things, you know what's good, what's bad, you know, you know all those things. And then that is all governed by who? The Holy Spirit who resides inside of you. So, so we don't have to uh, kind of freak out or anything. We know that God's word is written on our heart. He has told us what he wants of us, what he expects of us. So this is a, an important thing, knowledge, discernment, and the Holy Spirit. So for example, back to my house rule. Okay. Uh, when I say listen and obey, I don't have to explain to my daughters who they're listening to, okay? They know it's me and Sarah, okay? When, when I say obey, I don't have to explain obey what? What I said. Well, maybe I do every once in a while. What do I, what I said, that's what, right? And, and as of yet, I still don't have to answer the question. I still don't have to field this question. What does right away mean? Okay, now I'm, I'm heading towards teenagers, right? They're going to be teenagers soon, so pray for me deeply, right? Because they're going to try to, yeah, I'm getting head nods like, yes, I was a teenager and I did that too, right? What does right away mean? No, none of that. So pray for me, please. My point is this, that my daughters know they're listening to Sarah and myself. They know that obey means do what they've been told. They know that right away means right away. You don't have to look it up in a Greek lexicon. Right away means right away. So if I continue with my example, clean your room is a generalization. It's a general command. Listen and obey, and clean your room are both the same, and clean your room under that kind of overarching piece means go clean your room and do it in a timely fashion. Can I get an amen on that one? 
Go clean your room and do it, on a and do it in a timely fashion. Now, that general command has many particulars underneath it, although I'm not the guy who sits and, uh, you know, kind of gives them the letter of the law at home as to what their room needs to look like. Now, over time, though, they get the point of what cleanliness looks like. Okay, so, so one of the things we want in their room is we just want the floor cleared. How many, how many of you understand why, right? So we just, we want the, we know there's hardwood under there somewhere, right? So we want the, we want the floor cleared. Um, and so that, that could be a particular, but I'm going to zoom out and say that that's even a general still, because what my uh, daughters have decided to do, as the little legalists they already are, is that they, they have decided clean the floor means exactly what you guys did when you were kids too, and that is push everything under the bed, right? Floor's clean. Floor's clear. No, that's not, no. Mm -mm. We get this pile, this is daughters, maybe it's only daughters, right? I have seen a pile of clothes in their room that high before. Okay, I'm, there's nothing, Joe wasn't under it, okay? So, so is it that high of just clothes? And my particular instruction, I guess, in this situation is, hey guys, where'd those clothes come from? And Sam will go, and she'll point to the dresser, right? She won't point to her sister, but she'll point to the dresser, and I'm like, awesome. The place they come out of is the place they go into, okay? Otherwise, it's mama all the time going, you know how many clothes I put away in a day? It's, it's ridiculous. And I have four daughters, so it's princess dress-up time all day, every day, but I'm not bitter. Anyway, okay, so, anyway, so... Where, when, when do we get to uh, night dress-up day? Like, when do I get to, like, well, I do have a cool sword. I should probably just bust that out and see what they do. Anyway, so the particulars of clean their room are many, but what we say is clean your room, and it's a general command, and there's many particulars. They, after a long time with relationship, they begin to understand what, what, does mom, what do mom and dad mean by clean your room. I think with the relationship with God over time, we begin to understand this. This, this is where we need to, uh, this is a right understanding for sanctification. God is molding you and shaping you over time. You are born again in a moment. You, you are saved in a, in a moment and you become like Jesus over a lifetime. Amen. So you're born again in a moment, and, and we need to think that way. We need to know, I've made the commitment, I have been changed, I've been transformed. But how we transform over time, uh, is over time. Both general and particular commands are needed, both of them. We need them in everyday life. You need generalizations, you also have to carry them out in particular. So here's a couple things to think of. A recipe is a generalization, and the cake you make is the particular. That's how it comes out. Okay, it can be more particular in the recipe, but that the, the cake is the particular. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is a generalization. Obedience is a particular to loving God. Love your neighbor as yourself is a generalization. As we read in Luke 10, showing them mercy is a particular. Okay, so here's why all of this matters. You knew there was going to be a point here. In Luke 10, obedience is understood to be the glad assumption of God's people, and it needs to be the glad assumption of God's people. We continue to move farther and farther, not politically, but spiritually, we move farther and farther left 
in ideologies and what we endorse in the church, what we allow in the church, what we say is a sin and what we ignore is a sin, you know, all of these different things. We keep moving uh, in, in a wrong direction in, in my estimation, right? And we need to be the people that come back to uh, Come back to the place that obedience is the glad assumption. And what God says goes. And why he says it is because it will benefit us. It is good for us. How many of you parents have wrestled with your kids to try to show them that why you say what you say is actually for their good? Like, you're like, trust me, I just don't want you to die today, right? You know, that, that's kind of it. So, so convincing us of this as Christians is a very challenging thing. It's a very challenging thing because sometimes the Bible says that God's laws and his commands are not burdensome. And I haven't met a Christian one in my life that hasn't found a law or a command of God that, that kind of rubbed them the wrong way in which they said, well, that, that kind of hurts. I don't, I don't kind of like that one, right? Or I feel uncomfortable about this. When we understand God wants our best, when, he under, when we understand his commands to us are actually good, it changes the game, doesn't it? Changes the game. What is that predicated on? Love. It's always predicated on his great love. So obedience is understood as the glad assumption of God's people. What Jesus was working towards, because he hadn't gone to the cross yet, was the cross. And so he'll ultimately reveal, even to this lawyer, that grace-fueled obedience is what this whole thing is all about. For now, he's just teaching the principle. And the command that the lawyer rightly recites to Jesus, notice the lawyer is correct in what he says as pertaining to life, is a general command under which many particulars come. Under which many particulars come. And I'll take this pause for a second to say this. All those particulars, this lawyer knew. This lawyer knew these particulars. Don't think lawyer like our current culture. He's not, you know, he's not trying to get... O.J. Simpson off or something like this. We're talking about a lawyer who knows the law of Israel, which is what? Mosaic law, Levitical law. This is a guy who studied it. He actually understands these particular general commands, right? He knows that those two commands come from Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5, and he, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he knows that love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19. He knows it. Okay, not only does he just know their address, not only does he know their address, he knows more. He knows the specifics. He knows the details. Now, as pastors usually preaching the, uh, the message of the Good Samaritan, they're usually preaching it from the angle of how to be one, right? Here's how you guys get to be a Good Samaritan. But I'm not here to preach to you how to be a Good Samaritan. I'm here to preach to you how not to be a lawyer. That's it. I just want you to not be a lawyer today. And no offense to any lawyers, but you know. Actually, full offense. Anyway, so, okay, so the lawyer in Luke 10 no doubt knows more than just the generalizations that he supports. He's read the context of Deuteronomy 6. He knows that loving the Lord his God is a general command. He knows that that manifests itself particularly in obedience. He knows that raw obedience is not the, the case because all of what they did in the Old Testament, uh, especially after, you know, in Moses' law, was done in view of the redemption that they had felt, the grace that they had experienced from the exodus. So it was in view of mercy even then. This lawyer knows that loving God meant teaching. Listen up, dads. It's really important. The lawyer knew that loving God meant teaching his children and his grandchildren the fear of the Lord. 
He knew the particulars. He knew what this meant. And just so you know, that's not disappeared. You are to train your children in the way they should go. You are to New Testament commands, Titus, Timothy, Ephesians. You can see what you're supposed to be as a godly dad, as a godly mom. You can see what you're supposed to do. So he knew that he was supposed to teach his children and his grandchildren. You know, the proverb says that a, that a wise man gives an inheritance to his children's children. That would be his grandchildren, right? And that inheritance of all inheritance, the greatest inheritance you can give, is to teach them the ways of Jesus Christ. That command, there's another command or another uh, command with a promise in Scripture that says, train your children in the way they should go, and in the end, they won't depart from it. How many of you, you know this? Parents, you're claiming it all day. Listen, this does not mean that you go and you just give your children information about God, and in the end, they'll come back to agree with it. That's not what it is. It is that you're to teach your children, right, the ways of God, which means you should show your children how to love him and how deeply he loves you. Because when you paint the picture, a ravishing picture, I might add, of who God is and his ridiculous level of love for people like us, when you show them that picture, here's what's going to happen. They're going to face a hard time in their life. They're going to face a season in their life where they're confused about something, and they're going to know, I can run to God. I can run to God. But what most churchgoers do is they train their children in the ways of religion or the ways of Sunday school, right? They don't model prayer. They don't model worship for their kids. They don't model all of the things that make your children see that you love the God you serve, right? They don't see that. And so when they get old, they depart from the faith. And then you go, that Bible passage, that promise, it's a lie. God, God's not telling the truth. God's word does not return void, church. The truth is we didn't teach them, train them up in the way they should go, which is in the midst of chaos, run to Jesus. In the midst of pain, run to Jesus. When you're hurt, when somebody is hurt, fall on your knees and run to Jesus, right? This is, this is what we're communicating if we're really being the people that God has called us to be. And so this man knows he's supposed to teach his children and his grandchildren the fear of the Lord. He knows that he's supposed to honorably possess the land of promise. What does it mean to honorably possess the land of promise? It just means to act like a Christian when you're there, right? We're Americans, but we're Christians first. And while we're here, we should act like Christians first. Not going to get many amens on that one, but it's a really important idea. He knew what these particulars were. And so the issue is not with his understanding of love God as yourself or love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not the issue. Why is that not the issue? Because that's not the area in which he tried to justify himself. See, this is what a lawyer does. This is why I'm teaching you not to be a lawyer. A lawyer justifies himself. How did he justify himself, church? Well, who's my neighbor? Quick thing. There's a difference between you questioning God and you justifying yourself. There's a massive difference between you questioning God and you justifying yourself. You can question God by saying, Lord, I need you to teach me. Notice it is a humble approach. I need you to teach me. I'm not in the place of superiority here, but I need you, Lord, to teach me what it means to love you with all my heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to love you with all my mind? What does it mean to love you with all the strength that you have given me in this life? That's, that's a really important question, and it's a valid question. But justifying yourself looks a whole lot like a question, 
but it's for a different purpose. Well, Jesus, who's my neighbor, right? Look at what he says. What is written in the law? How does it read to you? This is Jesus speaking. What is, it, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Notice he gets it right. He's not a fool, okay? He gets it right. Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, I, I hear that different in my head every time I read it. I hear Jesus going, do it, and I'll let you live. <laughs> that's how, that's, but I'm a dad, so that's how I read it. Verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, or he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, be honest with me, show of hands, how many of you, not questioning God, trying to justify yourself, how many of you have asked questions like this before? Oh, who's my neighbor? God. You, know, you I'm trying to find a way around this, Lord. And I need you to give me a justification for why I'm doing this. Something is deeply wrong when that's our heart's position, right? We failed to realize obedience is the glad assumption of the kingdom of God. We failed to, read, uh, to, to understand that obedience is a grace-fueled obedience. We failed all those things. And now we're trying to prove ourselves. Before God. Well, I want to show you how what I'm doing is already right. This very same man who knows that obedience is a way of life is seeking to justify himself. But only in this case. And I would argue that this is our problem writ large. Our problem doesn't often come with trying to justify ourselves before God on loving him. Can I get an amen? I, I asked you guys the question a couple weeks ago. How many of you want to please God? It's the only question I've ever asked in this church where everybody's hands are like, they shoot up, right? Everybody's like, yeah. But if I was to ask you this question, how many of you just can't wait to go into work Tuesday morning and love the people you work with? Why aren't you raising your hands, right? Because I know what's in your heart. Your hearts are going, who's my neighbor, Right? <laughs> Who's my neighbor? It's not my coworker. Forget him. He doesn't live next door. I'm not dealing with that guy, right? The guy who has the problem with the gener has no problem with generals nor specifics in loving God seems to want to get lost in generalizations when it comes to his neighbor. We do this, church. We do this. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus goes, "Have you hated him? Have you? Have you hated him in your heart?" you fail, <laughs> right? Ugh, I hate that, right? Men, you've never committed adultery. No. There's never been a time. You're not away. You're not, you know, no, fine. I'll give you that. Have you ever lusted after somebody in your heart? Jesus, Jesus isn't playing around, guys. He's not playing around. He, he wants a people who have pure hearts and pure mouths, and pure lives. And he's given you his spirit to do it. He has. We, there's no temptation that we face that we cannot say no to. No modern day preacher preaches that either. But we don't have to say yes to these things. We can say no because the spirit of God is the most powerful source in us. Who's my neighbor? Really? That's the question you're going to ask. In his mind, he's most likely thinking, well, love my neighbor. Well, I didn't murder him, so I've already done this. The truth is, all he wants to do is have Jesus confirm that he's a good guy. That's what he's doing. That's what lawyers do. Just see how good I am, okay? He wants Jesus to do this, but what does the Bible say? 
Pride comes before the fall. He doesn't want to love all of his neighbors. And neither do we most of the time, right? There's the one neighbor that we're like, yeah, I can go without loving him. I moved away from mine. So, oh no, I was just, I was, sorry. I love them from a distance. Anyway, no, that's fine, fine. Give me a hug. I love you. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, that's enough of that sappy crap. Anyway, okay, so. The point is, we try to justify ourselves. We try to make sure that we can love, listen to me, church, we try to make sure that we get to love the lovable. We get to love the lovable. Luke 6, 31 through 33, even sinners do that. Even sinners love the lovable. Who are we supposed to love, church? Even our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. You know how hard that is to pray for somebody when they're persecuting you? Yeah, yeah, because all you'd rather do is justify why they're not your neighbor and why they should be killed. That's what we do, right? Jesus tells him to answer the question. He tells him a Bible story. Don't you love Jesus' response? Sit down. Let me tell you a Bible story. Thanks. I don't really need your Bible story. Yeah, apparently I do. The lawyer knows the context of Deuteronomy 6, right? He knows. He's a lawyer of Levitical and Mosaic law. He knows this, both the general and the specific. And so no doubt he also knows the context of Leviticus 19. He knows that loving his neighbor means uh, what it means in great detail. He knows the particulars of this. Turn with me to Leviticus 19, 11 through 18. I'm going to read a couple of these, give you some insight, and then I'll wrap it up. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11 through 18. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is a general command. In particular, it means the glad assumption of obedience, but that's a grace-fueled obedience. We can understand the details of that in many ways. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren, uh, possess the land that God has given you uh, by representing him well, all of those things. Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the general. Here's the specifics. You shall not steal or deal falsely or lie to one another. So give your neighbor his rake back. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You're going to see that repeated over and over. I am the Lord. Why do we do anything? Because God is God. That's why we do this, okay? So in particular, loving your neighbor as yourself can mean not stealing from him, not dealing falsely with him, not lying to him. And if you do lie to him, please don't say, I didn't lie to you. I swear to God. You're just making the whole mess worse, right? Verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind man, but you shall revere your God. Why? I am the Lord. This is the reality of this. So you shall not oppress your neighbor. Well, you look at that and you go, well, I've never oppressed him. I've never robbed from him. Look at the next one. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Some of you are like, I don't own a business, I don't pay people, I'm off scot-free. Do you have a bill at home that has a due date on it? Do you withhold wages from a man? Yes, it's a corporation, but there's, a, there's people behind it, right? Do you withhold wages from them overnight because it benefits you? Yeah, that's your problem. 
you're, you're doing exactly what the Bible says not to do. You're not loving your neighbor. Now, if your mortgage says you got a five-day grace period, use it up. I don't know what you need. But, but listen, Nate's back there going, no, send your dang check in. Anyway, so here, here's, here's the point, though. Here's the point, though. If you don't have that period, stop thinking of it as, well, they're just a corporation and I'm a man. Stop, stop justifying yourself. Do you see it? Quit thinking like a lawyer. Instead, you should look at this and go, somebody's making their living off this. I want to do what's right. And if you can't, pick up the phone and say, here's why I can't. This is what a Christian should do. Is that what the world will do? No. It doesn't matter what the world will do. You do what God says that he's supposed to do. I love this, and it's worth you studying on your own. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before a blind man. It does not say you shall not curse a blind man. He can still hear you. It does not say you shall not put a stumbling block in front of a deaf man. He can see it. It says don't curse a deaf man and don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind man. You are not to be the reason. Loving your neighbor means you're not to be the reason your neighbor falls. Your neighbor is hurt. So this is why the Bible says, listen, if you, if you drink, right? The Bible doesn't have a, a thing that says drinking is of the devil. It says drunkenness is. But if you, let's say you drink and you don't have a problem with it, but you do have a friend who has a deep and profound problem with it. They do not have eyes to see nor ears to hear the realities of what that is, and you have a responsibility. You're not to put a stumbling block in front of a blind man, and you're not to curse a deaf man. See, when we start to get to the particulars of loving your neighbor, all of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense, and it becomes a little more challenging. You shall do, verse 15, do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great. So much for the social justice movement of today. You are not to be partial to the poor. You can help them. You should love them, right? But you are not to be partial to them. You're also not to be bulldozed just because the guy has money. You're also not to just capitulate because the guy has money. Right? If a guy has money and he's doing something that is unjust, you say that's wrong. Even if it's, hey boss, that's wrong. This is hard, isn't it? All of a sudden you go, wait a minute. What? Who's my neighbor? So who's my neighbor? So you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. It does not say judge your neighbor equally. Equality is nonsense. Fairness is good. Judge with what is right. That's what you judge with. If they did something wrong, deal with it. Deal with it. Don't, don't judge them unfairly. That's, it's, we've got a problem with our definition of fairness, right? So verse 16, you shall, you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. Sorry, Jerry. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. Please read that with me. You shall surely reprove your neighbor. Say it again, again. You shall surely reprove your neighbor. That doesn't sound gracious. You don't understand grace. You shall surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. In your anger, righteous as it may be, do not sin. Same principle, same principle. Verse 18, 
You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall, say it with me, church, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus tells this guy a little Bible story, right? Maybe his particular issue, I would argue his particular issue, is that he didn't want to show mercy to people who were unlike him, Samaritans. And he didn't like that Jesus makes as the star of the show a Samaritan, okay? But he knows well enough, even as a lawyer, he knows well enough to know that merciful behavior is the right kind of behavior. Merciful behavior has to be filtered through God's words, though, church. Love does not celebrate unrighteousness. That's what love is. Love does not accept all things. That wouldn't make any sense. I mean, in a context, you get it. But you you understand what I'm saying. You must correct your neighbor if you see an injustice. You have that right. Don't sin about it. Don't sin about it. As Christ's church, or at least a part of it, uh, obedience is a way of life. Grace-fueled obedience is our M.O., The general ideas that govern us are loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is particularly played out in our obedience. The general idea is to love our neighbor as ourself. And this is particularly played out by showing mercy to others, even if they're different from us. Now, I would be unfaithful to talk to an American church and not say what's going on in our culture right now. A Samaritan, in this case, showing mercy to the guy you don't want to show mercy to could, in fact, be an issue of immigration. Okay, I know. I saw it already. People are like, where's he going? Okay. Here is the Christian view of immigration. People come to this country with open arms, according to the law. According to the law. People should be welcomed at, at every shoreline we have and even Canada, every short line we have, and even, sorry, anyway, and even Canada with, with arms wide open legally. That's the Christian perspective. The extremes are not Christian perspectives. Forget all people. This is our country. Get out. Not Christian. I have no idea who thought that was a good idea. Not Christian, okay? Legally. And the other one is not, well, we're a, Christ, we're a nation filled with no laws. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. You see, when we start to understand what loving our neighbor as ourselves means, we understand it means to be gracious to them by pointing them to the system. Here's how it works. This is how it all comes together. Isn't that cool? Maybe. (laughs) Some of you are like, shut up, Nathan. So how can we not be a lawyer? Don't you laugh at me over there. Anyway, (laughs) so how can we not be a lawyer? By first remembering who we are. This is the most important piece of the message. If you have not listened to me this whole time, please listen right now. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we all too often attempt to fill the wrong shoes. All too often, we try to put ourselves in the character's shoes that we shouldn't be in. We're either the Good Samaritan or we're the priest or the Levite. But first and foremost, you're neither. I'm neither. You know who we are in the story? We're the man on the side of the road bleeding and dying. We are on the side of the road, man-made religion, which is the Pharisee, which is the, the, the lawyer, which is all of these different people, has checked our credentials and found us wanting. We're dying on the side of the road, they saw us, and they've passed by. Why? Because religion can't save you. Man-made religion will not save you. 
So they've looked at you, they've seen you dying, and they've passed by on the side of the road. The road. But the true good Samaritan, Jesus, the true good Samaritan stopped 2,000 years ago and picked you up on a Roman cross. 2,000 years ago, he bled and he died, and you and I, although found bleeding and dying on the side of the Jericho Road of Life, although we were there, he picked us up, he healed our wounds, he poured in the oil and the wine, which is both the, the purification of our life and the spirit to empower us to live that life, and then, not only that, he promised, when I return, I'm still going to pay all your debts, just like the Samaritan did for this man who was bleeding and dying. Isn't it amazing? He said he would cover the cost of our recovery. We never have to worry about self-justifying when we live from humility. We don't have to worry about self-justification when we realize, I'm a dirtbag. Can you say that with me, church? <laughs> say it with me. I'm a dirtbag. That's awesome. Will you say it to your neighbor? I'm a... Do it. <laughs> I am a dirtbag, right? We don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to twist the rules. It doesn't matter. We're saved by grace. Amen? Obedience is a way of life, church, both in general, uh, generalities and particulars. But obedience is always a grace-fueled obedience because I once was blind and now I see. I once was dead and Jesus made me alive. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. For the amazing work that you have accomplished for us on the cross. Father, for the grace that you have shown us and the grace that we get to live by. I ask you, Lord, that you would help our hearts to not try to associate ourselves with whether or not we're the Good Samaritan or whether or not we're the Levite or the priest, but rather to always keep in our minds. We have been saved by mercy. We were dying. Freely we have received, Lord, and your word tells us to freely give you and your truth and your grace and your mercy. We praise you and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' most wonderful name, amen. God is good, church. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.